It is great to be here tonight. And uh, I came out, and man, I I could smell the smoke. And the good part is, uh, I met a couple members coming in. I'm glad it wasn't coming off of them. Amen. But anyway, uh, it is uh, it is good to be in church tonight. And uh, man, years ago, I I hadn't I I got saved, and I came out of a very bad life. And God changed my heart, changed my life, and some of the habits were real difficult to, to get rid of. God helped me to quit with drinking and alcohol and drugs and all that, and then uh, eventually helped me to throw out all my rock music and all that. that. But there was one habit that followed me, and I couldn't get rid of it. Man, I, I kept, kept on smoking. I couldn't quit. And I'd quit and start again, quit and start again. And uh, boy, one night I quit threw all the cigarettes out, and I, I didn't know it. There was some in my top dresser drawer. About three in the morning, the drawer opened, the cigarettes stood on the dresser, and started singing, come to the Marlboro country. And I, I had to go, but I, and, uh, and, uh, man, I'm telling you, it, it was a mess. And uh, by the grace of God, I remember the day when my pastor, uh, my dad, I got out of construction work and started a little company with my dad because he and I had got estranged from my life of sin and God changed my heart. They've been praying for me to get saved for years, uh, four or five years. And I wanted God just to restore us. So he and I started a business together. And we were in the company. And every now and then, I, I couldn't help myself. I'd, I'd smoke a cigarette. My dad would shake his head. I just lit one up. And I looked. In came the pastor. He came walking in the front door of my business. I looked around. I put the cigarette. And I didn't know how anywhere to go with it. I put it in my pocket. I said, how are you, pastor? He was always in a big hurry. He'd come in, hey, brother, and take off. Uh, he went to a, a broadcasting school up the street from our business, and he was always in a big hurry. Hey, brother Rossi. But he came in. He said, so how's things going? And how's the business going? And man, I had that cigarette in my pocket, and I, I talked to him. Yeah, doing well, pastor. Good to see him. Finally, I mashed it out right in my hand. Oh, man, that hurt. And uh, he left. A few months later, God finally gave me the victory, and I said, Pastor, I'll never forget, you came in my business, and uh, I had just lit a cigarette, put it in my pocket. He said, yeah, I know, I saw you. I stood there and waited there all that time just to give you a hard time. <laughs> and uh, not, that, not that Pastor Fong would ever do something like that, but uh, man, I'm telling you, uh, aren't you glad to be uh, saved, and aren't you glad to be set free from sin, and uh, to live for God and to glorify His name? Somebody said, well, do you think smoking cigarettes, uh, if a person smokes, they can still get to heaven? Uh, I would say they can, but they smell like they went to that other place. Amen? But and, uh, you, uh, uh, it is a, it's something. We all have our besetting sin. And how you know what it's like when you got saved and some things were just easy to, to lay aside. And that one area just kept following you and besetting you and you'd fail and, and then you'd repent and you'd fail and repent. But I can tell you this, if you keep trusting God, believing God, stay in the house of God, stay in the house of God. I'm stuck there. Stay in the house of God. Stay in the house of God and, and make a church your priority and, and stay under preaching and stay in your Bible. Eventually, victory does come. And I can tell you it's a great thing to serve the Lord. Turn to your Bibles tonight, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 22. Proverbs, chapter number 22. And I had a different message planned for tonight. And this afternoon, as I was praying and studying and trying to get the mind of God, this message kept coming back to my heart. Uh, a young, I guess... A young lady named Erica uh, sent me an email and wanted all my messages, and I sent uh, some messages to the church, but this was not in that batch, so if I messed up here, I'm sorry about that, and, uh, but uh, I want to obey the Lord. I want to mind Him. This morning, I had such a hard time. About five minutes before Art picked me up, I was working on my sermon that I had sent to Erica and uh, adjusting a little bit on my iPad, and I lost the whole sermon. I couldn't find it. it. It disappeared somewhere in cyberspace. Somebody has a great sermon somewhere. And boy, it, it was difficult. I had to get it all back together and we found it. One of the guys helped me. And, uh, so that was good. I heard about a preacher that he was in a preacher's conference. He was a young man. He was getting ready to preach. He was sitting down to an older gentleman who was going to be the second speaker. And boy, he, he was getting ready and he looked down and realized he forgot his sermon and lost his notes. He leaned over to the older preacher and said, Preacher, I lost my sermon. I can't find it anywhere. I don't know what to do. 
That older gentleman put his hand on his shoulder and said, Don't worry, brother. The Lord will provide. He looked down on the ground. There was a piece of paper, and he picked it up. Man, it was a three-point out, three outline, all alliterated, poems, every, stories, and everything. That young man got up, preached that sermon. I mean, it was unbelievable. He came and sat down, and man, that was great. The older gentleman said to him, Brother, that was my sermon that fell out of my Bible, and it's my turn to preach. That young man said, Don't worry, brother, the Lord will provide. Amen? So uh, God, he sure will provide, amen, if we trust him. Proverbs chapter 22, please. Proverbs chapter 22, and I want to just read this one verse from the Word of God. If you know anything about Proverbs, you know that many of the Proverbs are these uh, powerful, pointed sayings that in reality are a message in and of themselves. Many of the Proverbs stand alone. Some portions would be three and four verses together on the same subject, but this is one of those verses that God gives us that we find it is somewhat of a standalone verse in this portion of the Bible. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Let's read that out loud together. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Tomorrow night, I'll preach a message, the Lord being my helper, entitled Grand Theft, Absalom. And Absalom was a young man that stole the hearts of the people of God away from King David. And there's an Absalom in every church. I've met many. And they're very impressed with themselves. And they are about the business of drawing men after themselves, according to Scripture, with great swelling words of how great they are. And yet even more than the person Absalom, I see a spirit of Absalom that is manifest in this generation in which we live that is pulling people away from great churches that preach the Bible like this one. Not long ago, a family said, Pastor, we're not going to come on Sunday nights. We need family time. Your family time ought to be in the house of God. You ought to come to church. Amen? Amen. I've had people say, well, we're not going to be able to make church because we just need a little R&R. You need a little R&R, all right? You need a little preaching. Say amen to that. You need to get the devil preached out of your heart. And tonight I see something else everywhere I go. It's been happening for a long time. I've been to some of America's greatest landmarks. I've seen the Liberty Bell. I've seen... Yosemite Forest. I've seen Fort Clatsop up in, up in uh, Washington and up in Oregon. I've seen the Grand Canyon. What a wonderful place. I've seen most of the great uh, places that you would say are landmarks in America, Mount Rushmore, uh, the uh, Yellowstone National Park, been down south. I've seen the Alamo, all these places that are places that mark certain great events that happen in the life and history of our nation. I'll never forget the day that we went to Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts and spent the day in Plymouth Harbor. And I went up on the hill at the uh, cemetery there and saw many of the grave markers of great men of God with verses and, and great life verses of revival on them and God working in their lives. And I've seen what God has done in this nation. The writer of the book of Proverbs is writing in a manner as a father would be writing back to his son. And many of the Proverbs were given by God in the reference form of a father giving his son instruction. I believe this verse is one of those verses where God says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And I want to speak for a few moments tonight as I've watched not just physical not just historical, but I've watched the his, these spiritual landmarks of America being moved aside. I want to speak tonight on the subject of restoring the landmarks in your life. Restoring the landmarks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for allowing us to be in this place. 
Thank you for a church that is standing as a landmark in San Leandro, California, in this part of the world. And as the fires burn around us, and as the smoke engulfs this community, God, may we always look to Thee. May we trust You as our great God, our Savior, our wonderful uh, priest, our only, our only Lord. And God, tonight, may You move and work as only You can in this place. Thank You for what You'll do. We'll give You the praise and the glory together. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said together. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. Our text tonight is a great, and as mentioned, a very powerful standalone verse that we find in our Bible where the writer is looking to those who will follow in his wake, and those who will follow in the path of his spiritual leadership, and reminds them of a very important admonition that we find in the Word of God. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. If you and I were to go purchase a piece of property and finally go to the settlement on that property, somewhere, uh, somehow, a title deed and a title search will have been conducted. When that title search has been conducted and they find that the title is clear, they will normally send a surveyor out to that property, and that surveyor will take a laser instrument, and he will, with degrees, minutes, and seconds, and now with GPS coordinates, he will find out the exact boundary lines of that property, and he will draw what they call a land plat that will be recorded at the county recorder's office. Every property has such a thing. I have no doubt Heritage Baptist Church has a, a land plat and a land deed somewhere and your home has the same thing that said this is where my property begins and this is where my property ends. In the Bible they had no such a thing so instead a man would go out and he would set into the corners of his property monuments that were known to be as landmarks. These landmarks identified literally where the property ended where another man's began. The landmark ensured that this property would be yours and pass down to the following generation and stay in the home. They would take a landmark normally. Uh, they would just put a stone into the ground. Wealthier Hebrew families would go and literally have a stone cutter to make a large stone with a family mark on it, a crest, if you will, or a signet, and they would place that, that landmark into the corner uh, of the property, and it would become a landmark never to be removed. They did not have to dispute their property. They knew exactly where that landmark was. Landmarks were used for two, merit, two primary purposes. Number one, for the prop for the purpose of identity. You always knew your property was yours because your landmarks were in place. And number two, the other reason was for security. As long as that landmark was set and as long as it was, it was there, it was always indelibly your property unless you actually sold it and went uh, to one of the elders in the gate and did a formal transaction, a legal transaction under the Hebrew economy of life. It was very important to have your landmarks for your identity and for your security. In fact, in Psalm 16, verse 6, the Bible says, the lines are fallen under me in pleasant places. We have a goodly heritage. The picture there is that his boundary lines were set, his monuments were in place, and he knew where his uh, heritage was and exactly where things belonged. So this is a very important commodity of light. If you understand the Bible, you'll find there are commands dealing with the ancient landmarks. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter, 20, chapter 19, verse number 14, thou shalt not remove the ancient landmark. That's what God said. There were commands, and there was a curse dealing with the ancient landmark. God said, 
said, Be cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Why? If he moved a landmark, he was a thief, and he was stealing the property that did not belong to him. And then, of course, there were consequences of removing the old landmark. If you, if you look at chapter 23 and verse 10, God said, Remove not the old landmark, enter not into the fields of the fatherless, uh, for their Redeemer is mighty, he shall plead their cause with thee. So there were severe consequences for removing the landmarks out of someone's life and away from someone's property. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now understand tonight, you and I don't have any physical landmarks for the most part. You may have a piece of property somewhere. You can go down to the old corner marker. You can see the old stone. But in reality, that won't mean much in a court of law. Instead, the degrees, minutes, and seconds of uh, a surveyor and a survey will designate what your property is, where it ends, and where it starts. But understand the fact, we may not have physical landmarks tonight. We have a lot of spiritual landmarks that have been removed in this generation in which you and I live. We are seeing the fall of one of the greatest societies the world has ever produced. Uh, I know that many of you have come from another country. My uh, my grandparents came from Italy and uh, came here. My father was born just a few days after their arrival. He was the 12th out of 13 children. My, my grandmother had uh, birthed my father under a fruit tree in the morning and she went out and picked fruit in the afternoon. That was a different generation. Say amen. Now we have husbands who need six months maternity leave. We're in trouble. And so, but we were from a different generation altogether. Everybody all right? All right, good. And understand, uh, we have changed drastically uh, on many levels in the society in which we live. Uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary defines a landmark as, quote, a boundary line uh, indicated by a stone or a stake. Uh, landmarks could not be removed without incurring the severe displeasure of God. So you couldn't move your landmark without getting into trouble. And I can tell you, we've moved landmarks in my lifetime, uh, spiritual landmarks and moral landmarks so badly that our nation is in dire trouble tonight. I remember as a kid growing up, we could watch the TV. In fact, on Sunday nights, we'd always come home and uh, we would all gather around the old TV set. I remember black and white. Anybody remember those things? Rabbit ears. And uh, my dad had one of the first quasar colored televisions in the whole neighborhood. I remember the flame peacock would come on and then the map of Virginia City would come on and uh, that would all burn up and out of that map would ride Hoss, Little Joe, Adam and Ben Cartwright and uh, they'd come out and every Sunday night we would watch Ponderosa. Boy, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world and uh, they would have their little cowboy outfits on. Every now and then there would be a little scuffle or a fight and old Hoss would uh, say, I hate to do this to you little fella and he'd give him a whipping and beat on him but then he'd pick him up and buy him breakfast in Virginia City because uh, it was a moral world in which they lived. I remember shows like Leave it to Beaver. We'd watch that, I believe, on Tuesday night. We never miss Leave it to Beaver. Uh, he was always such a kind little fellow. He would come home from school. Mrs. Ward Cleaver, Mrs. Cleaver, June Cleaver would be at the sink, always washing her dishes. Did you ever notice her house was always perfect? And she was always perfect, and her hair was always uh, just right. Her dress was in place. She'd be washing the dishes, and she would say, Theodore, go to your room. You've been in trouble. The teacher called from school. Go to your room. Father will be home in a few moments. He'd go up to his room, get a little bit of advice from his brother, uh, his, his brother Wally. Wally was a teenager, and it was clear clearly portrayed that teenagers know very little, say amen to that, that uh, teenagers, most teenagers have the IQ a few points above plant life, and so he would uh, he would give him his teenage advice, and it was always be, be the wrong advice, and he would show how ridiculous a teenager really is. Then about five o'clock each night, uh, Mr. Cleaver would come home from a strange and unusual word in this generation. He would come in from 
work. And he would come in. Mr. Cleaver had slightly graying hair at the temples. He'd put his briefcase down. He would go upstairs. Uh, he would never lose it. He would never scream. Mother would never throw dishes and holler and yell. And uh, he would go up and give his son some wisdom. And he would always bring Theodore to tears. And little Beaver would repent and all would be well. There was one more character. He'd come to the back door and knock on the door. Good morning, Mrs. Cleaver. Good morning, Mr. Cleaver. His name was Eddie Hatch. He was a neighborhood bad boy. He was a hypocrite. Uh, he pretended to be a nice boy in front of mom and dad. Then he'd go and he'd give them some more bad wisdom and it would always get him in trouble. Right was right. Wrong was wrong. I heard that, uh, I heard that Eddie Haskell became Alice Cooper uh, of the rock star years later. I don't know if that was true, but it made for great preaching. Say amen to that. But uh, I mean, uh, it was a different world and mom and dad were in charge and everybody knew it was right. And when the boy lied. He got caught for it. It was a lie. We live in a far different generation tonight. We have gone in one generation from Leave it to Beaver to little Bart Simpson and now we have cursing cartoon characters on TV that mock God, that mock authority, that mock the home. They curse. They use profanity in the worst order. They talk about same gender marriages. They talk about the worst of possible things. You can't watch much TV without having your conscience offended amen, and understand the fact that our nation, we have lost our morals in just one generation of light. God said in Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Listen to Psalm chapter 11, verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, literally if the, if the landmarks are destroyed, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I believe tonight the only answer for America is that people like us would begin by the grace of God to restore the ancient landmarks, to bring back the former things by the grace of God, and to get stirred once again about what really matters in our life and in our hearts. Say amen. Now what really matters is not what kind of a car we drive. The most important thing is not how big our home is. The most important thing in our life is not how many figures we can put at the end of the first figure of our income. The most important thing in life is not how great the school is our children go to and how high society we can get. The most important thing is that we glorify God and lift up Christ and magnify His name and give our life to the local church visible New Testament in these days. I think about a few of these landmarks that need to be changed. Some of these landmarks that must be restored. You say, what are they? I'm going to go back a few years with you tonight. I'm going to preach a little bit back to 20 and 30 years ago of how things used to be. I remember as a young guy when I got saved, uh, I went to the church. Boy, it, it was a what, completely different world. I walked in. My hair was way down over my shoulders. I had a flip top of Marlboro's in my top pocket. Went to the evening service. First time ever. I got saved that afternoon. And, uh, and God began the wonderful work of changing my life. I walked in and now I was almost 20 years of age and I got a Bible and put it under my arm, walked in the back door. All the mothers grabbed their daughters. Come over here, get away from him. I looked like something uh, that had been through a windmill. I mean, I looked a mess. And I sat down and I heard a pastor uh, each Sunday night. He would have us memorize the books of the Bible. I got the index out, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I got excited, started reading out loud. We got to the book of Job. I said, Job, loudly. People looked at me and we got to the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament. I thought, I said, Malachi. I thought he was an Italian, but it was not. Uh, it was Malachi. And we went from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, I mean, at the end, concordance. I thought I was so excited that uh, to be in church and God began the wonderful process of changing my life. It seemed like every time I went to church, the pastor had been following me all week long. It seemed like uh, my mother must have been talking to him on the phone. I went to him one day and said, Pastor, has my mom been telling you what to preach? Because everything I do wrong and every mistake I make, you preach about it on Sunday morning. Uh, I said, Sir, I, I think your finger grows about 40 feet long every time you preach and ends right on the end of my nose. And he said, No, sir, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God at work in your life. That's the presence of God. 
You remember those days we come forward and uh, commit to tithing and commit to giving and commit to serving and commit to soul winning, whatever he preached about. I couldn't wait to get to the altar and trust God uh, to serve him. Say amen. amen. And yet those landmarks of old time Christianity they're fading rapidly. We no longer have churches. We now have the river. We have the grape. We have the arbor. We have the banana. We have the uh, potato, whatever it is. I can tell you, friends, when I get up in the morning and put on my suit and tie, I go to a local church, visible, New Testament, say amen. And by the way, personally, uh, I go to a Baptist church. I'm the pastor of a Baptist church. Why? Because of the doctrine of the New Testament that I believe we're the closest thing to a New Testament order. But today you can do anything you want. You don't have to call it a church. Just come Sunday morning and uh, that's all you really need. It's Brill, clean, Brill Cream religion. How many remember Brill Cream? A little dab will do. Amen. And you come to church and hear some fun stories and uh, talk a little bit about Jesus and cry to the music and leave fulfilled and glowing and feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside and that's all you're going to get. Friends, we need to get back to the New Testament order. We need to get back to Bible believing and trusting the Word of God and restore the ancient land landmarks which thy fathers have set. I think about the first landmark that touched my life. It was the first one, hellfire preaching. Hellfire preaching. I'll never forget it. I went to church. My pastor got stirred up the second week I came. And uh, man, I felt like I was sitting in a wind tunnel. My hair was going straight back. I thought, man, this guy's on fire. And if I get near him, I'm going to get burned up. He'd preach about hell just about every sermon. And he'd bring it up and talk about it. The fact that there's a place where men will never die. And they'll seek death and never find it. It's a place of outer darkness and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. How many believe tonight there's still a place called a lake of fire in your Bible where men will never die but will burn forever and forever. There was a man that I worked with before I got saved and uh, he got saved the old-fashioned way. He got stirred up, man. I mean, he was uh, into drugs and alcohol, and God changed his life completely. And uh, my mom had been praying for me, others praying. I bought a brand-new Toyota Celica, and, uh, beautiful right off the lot, and that thing broke down for over a month, and this man had to pick me up for work. He had just gotten saved. He had an old 73 Chevy Nova, a green Nova, and he picked me up, BB. I'd go outside at 7, get in the car, hung over, from the night before, sit down, and he turned on his radio, the gospel hour with Dr. Oliver B. Green, and uh, that old preacher from Greenville, South Carolina, he come on, that man preached about hell every sermon, amen, he was preaching from the book of Revelation, I was sitting there hearing this preaching about the fact you're going to burn forever, you'll need God, you need Christ, whosoever was not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire, and I mean, uh, the very end of his sermon he would end up praying and say, Father, save that soul that's nearest hell today. You know what happened to me? I got under a case of old time Holy Ghost conviction. I couldn't drink it off. I couldn't smoke it off. I couldn't party it away. The more I drank and partied and tried to have fun, the more I thought about eternity, the more I thought about the fact that there is a place of outer darkness. Listen, friends, the Bible said, hell hath enlarged herself. Hell hath opened her mouth. And old time preachers used to preach about hell everywhere they went. My pastor gave me a bag of tapes and said, here, listen to these on the way to work. I got saved and man, it was exciting. I put the first one on. It was Payday Someday by uh, J. Harold Smith or by Dr. R.G. Lee. Payday Someday. Man, I listened to that tape and uh, wept all the way to work. The next day I put on another one, God's Three Deadlines by Dr. J. Harold Smith. I remember the next day I put on The Judgment by Dr. B.R. Lakin about the fact that uh, as it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. When's the last time you turned on a Christian radio station and somebody preached about hell or the judgment or eternity, well, we'll have a little time where we can find our inner you. Let's get together. Let me help you today. Today's uh, lesson by Dr. Duflunky shall be on how to love yourself more and how to care about yourself. Look in the mirror three times a day and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I tried that and got depressed. Amen. But amen. Brother, 
man gave me a tape. He said, you need to listen to this, man. It was called Red Light to Hell by Dr. Percy Ray out of Myrtle, Mississippi. That old preacher would get on the pulpit and I could hear it on the cassette tape. How many of you ever heard of cassette tapes? Remember those things? How many of you remember eight tracks? 33 LPs. You're really old, amen? But I mean, brother, uh, we had these old eight, we had these cassette tapes and we'd, uh, we'd play those in the car. I put on that cassette tape by Red Light to Hell and said he would get on top of the pulpit and rattle chains and turn on red flashing lights and say, you're gonna go into hell. You're gonna burn forever. You need God in your life. I remember Dr. Oliver Green. He had a great message in his tent revivals with a red pole in the middle of the tent. He said, this pole will witness against you in hell forever and forever and forever as you walked out of his tent, flashing lights were up saying, have you rejected Jesus again? That's not real user-friendly, say amen to that. That's not people say, well, I like that church. But they weren't concerned about getting people to like church. They're concerned about people getting saved. They're concerned about people finding Jesus and knowing that without Christ, they'll spend eternity in a lake of fire. And tonight, by the grace of God, we need to get back to hell fire preaching. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I charge thee before God who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. You can have your best life now. I'm not gonna bat my eyelashes on you and tell you what a good person you are. You might not come back tomorrow night and I'll get a new curly perm and smile at everybody. That's not happening. I can tell you this tonight, we, we have a generation of people who've been lied to and deceived and been coked and been put to sleep and been flocked as a bunch of poor sad sheep and been fleeced and by charlatans on the radio and the television. What we need is some men of God to put a trumpet to their mouth and preach the word of God and show this people their sins. We need some hellfire preaching. We need to restore the landmark of holy living used to be the people got saved and their life changed. A few months ago, I heard the latest edition of a Christian serial killer. So I heard it on the radio. This man was a wonderful Christian man. He killed nine people. My friends, are we, are we, have we lost our mind? Have we lost all rationale? Have we lost our ability to think? We have Christian rapists, we have Christian drunkards, we have Christian drug addicts, we have Christian rock, we have Christian rap, we have Christian Western, uh, the new fad in the last several years that we have many Christians now who are giving themselves to alcohol. We're becoming a wine culture and uh, no longer is there preaching against alcohol. Brother, when I got saved, we believe that every drop of alcohol was straight out of the lake of fire and of the devil, say amen. But we've changed. You don't understand tonight? When you and I are saved by the grace of God, there ought to be that inward work of the Holy Spirit helping us to be holy as He is holy, to walk with God. The Bible said in 1 Peter 1.15, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. But because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Pastor, I remember looking at myself in the mirror. After I got saved, I never heard a sermon on hair. I didn't hear a thing about it. But my hair looked like an explosion in a mattress factory. I could hardly see my face. There was lice and everything else. And my, I went to the dentist, or excuse me, I went to the, to the barber and I said, sir, I need a haircut. He said, trim the split ends. I said, no, cut it off. He said, yes, sir. He cut it right off. He couldn't wait. I looked at myself in the mirror and thought, man, maybe I shouldn't have got that much off. That looks terrible. But and then I went out and threw out all my rock and roll albums and threw out all the stuff that had ruined my life and threw out and sold my cool car and all that went along with it and said, I, I want to get separated from the world. Frankly, I, I went a little bit too far. I went to the store and bought these really crazy looking uh, cream colored pants with big old checks on them. I was tired of being a hippie, threw out all my bell bottoms, threw out all that stuff. By the grace of God, I wanted to be holy. I went out and bought a great big family edition Bible and started carrying it with me everywhere I went. Amen. <laughs> hey, young people, I can tell you this. If 
You're seeing somebody the opposite gender. You're seeing a young lady. Let me give you a tip. You put a big old Bible between you, and that'll help you. Amen? Amen? Yeah, put a big old Bible right there, and that'll help you stay right. And uh, you'll have to get past Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just to give her a little kiss. But I'm saying uh, to be holy for the glory of God. And God said, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I know that we made uh, some mistakes and went too far and started preaching all about uh, women wearing pants and how long men's hair was and made such an issue out of that that it turned people away. But I'm saying to you that you and I as God God's people, we ought to live as holy as a saved sinner can be. And it all begins in the heart. Say amen to have our heart and our mind and our soul given over to Jesus Christ and to say by God's grace, since he's a holy God, we desire to be a holy person. Man, I went so far as I sold my sports car. I bought a Volkswagen Squareback. You can't get any nerdier than that. Say amen. And uh, boy, I bought a Volkswagen Squareback. I put 26 teenagers into that thing, smashed them in. I put a board right in the middle. Guys on one side, girls on the other, smashed them in. Their little faces were all sticking out in the youth activity. But I'm saying to you, I had a great desire to get my life right with God. Whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to separation? Say amen. Whatever happened to... The pastor preaching, and instead of people getting mad and leaving the church, man, they come to the altar and, and begin to weep with hot, salty tears and say, God, forgive me, I'm wrong, and I want my life to change. Whatever happened to a generation of pliable people that have a desire to hear from God, I want that landmark back. Why? Because that identified our churches, and that secured our churches for the generation to come. Hellfire preaching, holy living. I can tell you tonight that holiness is inconvenient. Do I have an amen? Uh, how many of you like, how many of you love the water and the beach? Anybody here like that? I love the beach. And there, there's, it's inconvenient. I get my family out, see all these people laying out there half naked on the beach. I didn't want my children around that. We'd have to walk a great distance to find a secluded spot and go there to be able to see the water and play in the water and all that. It's inconvenient. Holiness is not only inconvenient, it is also indispensable. We must walk with God. We must be holy. We must be set apart. The Bible said in Hebrews 12, 14, uh, follow peace with all men and holiness, help me, without which no man shall see the Lord. You'll never see God in his glory. You'll never spend time in God's presence until we desire to live a holy life. Charles Spurgeon said, quote, conspicuous holiness ought to be the mark of every true church of God. A holy church has God in the midst of her, unquote. So holy living. Thirdly, this landmark needs to be restored of hallelujah shouting. People come to church happy. Do I have an amen? amen? Whatever happened to people come to church happy. One of the reasons I like coming out here on the West Coast is a lot of this is, is fresh, it's new, it's a brand new thing. There are many first generation Christians and I come here and I watch the choir sing. You know what I like about Heritage Baptist Church, uh, the choir? A lot of you smile while you're singing. Do you know it's all right to smile? Let's try that again. It's all right to smile. It takes more facial muscles to frown than it does to smile. That's why some of you go to bed at night and say, my face is killing me. No wonder, try smiling once in a while. And understand the fact that there ought to be a shout. I know we're all different people. We have different personalities. Some are uh, outgoing, fired up, effervescent people. Some very quiet people by nature. I'm not saying everybody walk into church and come on, hallelujah, amen. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about the fact that at some point in their life, if something good is going on, it ought to come out. Do I have an amen? The old boy said, I got blessed and had to shout. Something came in and it had to come out. God wants us to live in such a way that we're ready to give him glory. I almost preached from Psalm 85 tonight where God said in verse number six, wilt thou not revive, revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee and to learn what it means to have joy again and stir it up about the goodness of God. Boy, isn't it, a, isn't it sad that how many Christians I meet? I'll hear them on the call-in show. Oh, hello, doctor. Dr. Beltone, I just need some help. 
and you know, things are so bad, and my dog ran away, and my cat has a fever, and my hamster has broke his leg, and I, I've got to, you know, all these, and they're talking about all these sad things that are so ridiculous. Let's not even make it any worse by talking about social media. Wow, post, having a bad day, feeling, feeling rough, at Starbucks, got my caramel macchiata, double shot espresso, two pumps soy, there it is, feeling a little better. Did it ever occur to you that, I'm not trying to be ugly, I don't really care. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Having, feeling depressed, keep it to yourself. There's such a thing as real need for encouragement, say amen. amen. There's such a thing as needing to be built, built up in our most holy faith. There's such a thing as going through a real trial and a heartache and needing God's people to build us and edify and encourage us. That's all a part of New Testament life. But understand, we become so self-consumed and self, uh, self uh, just absorbed that every little thing, pray for me, my toe was twitching last night. Pray for me, my eyebrow twitched twice. Pray, I don't know what I have, I think I have twitching disease. And every disease and every ailment that you, that ailment that you see on the, on, the, on the TV, oh, I think I have that. <laughs> Everybody all right? Whatever happened to people rejoicing about how good God is? Whatever happened to rejoicing over the fact, listen, friends, a lady came into my office and she said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm just struggling. And she was a, 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 had wonderful kids, a husband, a, two kids, a, wonderful girls. And she would come into church looking like the weight of the world was upon her. She was prematurely gray. She looks like she was 70. She was only about 30 years old. And she would come into church and, hello, Pastor, how are you? She made an appointment to see me and came in to see me and said, I'm just, I don't know what to do. I said, I want you to stop talking. I'm gonna give you a, a notepad. And I want you to write down between now and Sunday, it's Thursday, I don't even wanna see you. I want you to write down 50 things that you are grateful to God for. She said, I don't have any, I don't know what to, I don't even know where to start. I said, how about, are you saved? Amen. Well, yes, okay. Let's write down, I'm saved, and put a smiley face next to that. How about, my sins are forgiven? Amen. Okay. How about, I'll never go to hell. Amen. I'll have eternity in the presence of God. Amen. I'll eat from the tree of life. Amen. I said, how about your husband? What about him? Is he still around? Yes. Okay, I have a husband. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! You know, so... Some of you say, that's a frowny face. Amen. <laughs> I have a husband. Do you know where he is? Yes. Write that down. I know where he is. <laughs> is he working? Yes. He had a good job. Good job. He has a job. We have a house. Yes. Put that down. We have a, you have a swimming pool, don't you? A real nice one in the back. Yeah, but the chemicals are not. No, forget, the, forget about the chemicals. You have a, you have a swimming pool. Write it down. You have two beautiful girls. One's 14, wonderful, talented girl. The other one's 12 or 11, wonderful kids, one fine arts in our school. Write them down. I she said, I, I get it. I said, now leave. I don't want to see you anymore. She said, write them all. Sunday morning, pastor, I'm trying not to exaggerate. I was on the platform and she, we had a gymnasium and she was toward the back door over there. I saw her walk in, almost didn't recognize her. She walked in. She was a little bit late. She was always late. She came in and <laughs> depressed people are always late too. Say amen. But she came in the back and man, she just came in. She was talking to people. Hi. And I, I mean, she came right up to the front during a, uh, we we're having preaching, singing. She came right up the front. Pastor, pastor. I said, wait, after service. Okay. okay. Sat on the front row during the preaching time. Amen. Praise the Lord. She was fired up after service. She said, I've got 113 things that I'm grateful to God for. I'm still writing them down. God's working in my life. Praise the Lord. Uh, her husband came up and said, sir, I don't know what you gave her. I don't know what you did for her. I don't know what pill you gave her, but brother, this is unbelievable. He was so fired up. Listen, friends, we have a lot to be grateful for tonight. Say amen. 
And you say, well, well, pastor, what about the end of the world? That sounds good to me. <laughs> Am I the only one in this place that's looking forward to heaven? Praise God. I had a man threaten me a few years ago, said, man, I might just kill you. I said, come on, please. My insurance policy's paid. I don't have a thing in this world that I care about. I'm going to see Jesus. Hallelujah. A glorified body. No more heartache. No more pain. No more Lyme's disease limping all over the place. No more neck from football uh, getting half broken. No more bad shoulder. No more uh, other attacks from normal, just basically mental behavior. Uh, no twitching. No more walking around. I mean, friends, no more blindness. No more sickness. No more pain. No more sorrow. We're saved by the grace of God. Boy, come up for air. What about California? <laughs> what a beautiful day. I mean, it's going to get worse. I feel it. <laughs> I need to hurry. I was, I was on a high school running track years ago, and my boys and me were filling in for my brother. He has a track company, and he his striper was quit. So he said, could you stripe this track for me? I know how to do that. I did it for a living. I said, sure, I'll lay it out and stripe it. My son and me were out there working. We had a few days in between revivals, and I was working on a high school track. We were striping the straightaway right at the turn, and these two ladies came jogging by. They had professional jogging outfits, racing stripes down the side, little pedometers on the side to gauge their heart rate and all that. And these two ladies came walking by rapidly, and I, I, I kind of glanced up, and they came on the track, and when they came by, I could hear them. And I heard one of them, he's Jehovah Jireh, he's Jehovah Sid Canoe, he's Jehovah Rophi. He's a, they, were, they were talking out the names of God. Two black ladies, and they were just having a good time. My son said, what's up with that? I said, I don't know, but they're not Baptist women, I assure you. The nursery was just, it was terrible last night. That preacher preached for two hours. Man, did you know there's a biter in the nursery? Amen. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, they'd have been complaining about something. Say amen. You think the pastor was talking about me? Absolutely, I could tell. I mean, and they're, you know, so they're, no, that, they weren't Baptist women for sure. They went around the track, and now this time they came around the second lap, and they were on Psalm 103. And she came by, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, who forgiveth uh, and, and who forget not all his benefits. I said, who forgiveth all thine iniquity? She said, well, healeth all thy disease, amen. And uh, they were, I said, son, I'm going after them. I took off down the track. I said, praise God, at least they're having a time and rejoicing and thanking God for the goodness of God in their life. If revival's gonna do anything for us, going to make us happy Christians again. I'm not happy about the politics. Do I have an amen? I have my views, and they're probably way to the right of anybody here. But that doesn't mean that I hate liberals. It doesn't mean that I hate socialists. It doesn't mean that I hate Jesus died for every one of them. Say amen. And we have our problems too. Say amen to that. And I'm just glad that my president's last name right now is not Clinton. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah shouting. Rejoicing in God. <laughs> Heard old boy said, I want to be so full of the Holy Ghost. If a mosquito bites me in the arm, it flies off singing power in the blood. And to learn what it means to, to just shout and have a joyful Christian life. Hallelujah shouting. Let me hurry. We need to restore another landmark. It's called heartfelt praying getting a hold of God, seeking the face of God. You see, rather than complain and write editorials and put up posts about the political condition of this world, when's the last time you just got on your knees and prayed for the White House and the Congress and the Senate and got in your face and called on political leaders and governmental leaders and people around us to get saved and to get right with God? When's the last time you just woke up in the middle of the night and just went down in your private place of prayer and sought God and His face and His glory and said, by God's grace, Lord, I'm looking to you to do anything. May I say to you tonight, I skipped over some of my points, but I want you to know something tonight, that we have a God tonight who has not changed. Amen. 
We have a God who's still on the throne. Say amen. We still have a God who's able to save to the uttermost all who come to him and understand that the gospel, Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. Doesn't matter what color their skin is. Doesn't matter where they were born. Doesn't matter how much money they have in the bank. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when's the last time you got burdened about it? I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment at this altar. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to start praying every day. Not some days, not once in a while, to get up early enough to spend time in prayer. You say, I can't get up early. Of course you can't because you don't go to bed early enough because most people are in bed doing this. Is that fair? And everything else. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> but rather than being consumed with a selfie, how about if we could get consumed with our Savior and get stirred up with, about Jesus and who he is. And God said in 1 Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. God said in Jeremiah 33.3, you can finish it if you want to help me, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ephesians 3.20, uh, wherefore he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I'm telling you tonight that we have a God who's well able to hear and answer prayer. He said in Psalm 126.6, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Jeremiah said, oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a river of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He said, preacher, you just said we're supposed to be happy. I find out that people who are happy have spent their time in prayer with God and casted all their care upon him him for he cares for you and to learn what it means to have some heartfelt praying my mom was an unusual lady she raised eight children she never drove a new car never complained about it if you ever gave her money she would give it away she had 27 grandchildren and all she was consumed with was giving them everything she had my poor dad couldn't make enough money he whatever he made she'd give it all away she really would and my mom, when she got saved, my dad was a very quiet, wonderful, just a, a small man. And he just very gentle, say, son, I'm praying for you. My mom was just the opposite, man. She, you knew exactly what she thought was thinking. And she said, you're going to go to hell. You need God. You need the Lord. And one day I was walking out the front door and she said, you're going to die and go to hell. And I said, mom, I really don't want you to talk to me anymore about that. I was never disrespectful. I never screamed at my mother and yelled. I said, Mom, I can't stand it anymore. I'm going to have to move out of the house. I'm sorry, but you, this is getting bad. She would pray for the meal. Lord, thank you for this food. And now, uh, Lord, help our kids to know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. She would go through the whole plan of salvation in her prayer. She would put tracks in my pockets in my, at work. I'd pull her each and, oh, there's an uh, Oliver Green track. I never met Oliver Green. I couldn't stand Oliver Green because she put all these Oliver Green tracks in my coat and in my pockets. I said, Mom, I need you to stop. I need you to stop, please, leave me alone. She said, all right, I'll leave you alone. She said, but I'll pray for you. I said, I wish you would. That'd be all right, please pray for me. She said, okay, son, I will. And she started praying. And she had people at Bible study praying and she had women at church praying. And there are people that I'd run into and say, hey, we're praying for you and praying for me to get saved. I came home one night late, about 2.30, maybe 3 in the morning after a night of sin, and I snuck in the house, and I was walking by their door like a sneak thief, and her door was open, and I'll never forget this, Pastor, as I walked by. There she was. She had an old hardwood floor next to her bed, and she was on her knees, and I could see there was a street light, a lamp outside of the house just coming right through there, and I could see right below her, below her face on the hardwood floor was a little puddle of tears. And I could hear her. She had no idea I was standing there. She said, oh God, don't let him die and go to hell. Don't let him go to hell. Please save him. 
God, please save him. And I knew my mom was praying for me. I got in the bed and I pulled the covers over my head and felt like a criminal. I said, God, forgive me. Please keep me alive long enough. I don't know what to do. I, I know I need to get saved. And I just kept those covers over my head. I'd like to hear the, the, the cry of a lost person alone who knows they're going to hell. And just a few weeks later, I'd had enough. I came home on a Sunday morning. I said, today I'm going with my parents to church and I'm going to get saved. I, I've been out all night long. I came in. They were gone. They'd already left. And I didn't know where to start, where to begin, but I got down alongside of my dad's easy chair, opened up a Bible he had there, and it fell open to Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And I trusted Christ that morning as my Savior. And God changed my life. Why? Heartfelt praying. People used to know how to pray. They used to know how to break strongholds of sin in other people's lives. I pray that you're a prayer warrior for someone. I hope that you have someone on your heart tonight and you follow through until that person comes to Christ. Heartfelt praying. And finally, the landmark of the heavens rending. What we need is for God himself to open up the heavens and give us one old-time old-fashioned, God-sent revival before the Lord Jesus comes back. I love the prayer of Isaiah. We said in Isaiah 64 and verse 1, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence as when the melting fire burneth, that the mountains may flow down at thy presence. I've gone to churches all over America and I've begun to challenge people. I've asked some of the oldest people in the church to give me the answer to this question. And the question was this, how many of you have ever witnessed a God-sent, heaven-born, Holy Ghost revival? Did you know that in 1858, the cloud of revival that settled upon America was so incredibly intense that cities and towns had to shut down their places of business because so many men and women were crying out to God in prayer. In the early spring of 1859, J.C. Penney up in Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon, literally had to close their business from the hours of 12 to 1 because so many people were praying during the noonday hour. Did you know that the revival of 1858 swept up the Hudson River out of New York City? And the power of God was so manifest that lumberjacks were crying out to God for mercy. And the SS North Carolina pulled into New York Harbor in early 1859. And when that ship pulled in, the uh, sailors were overcome by the presence of God in such great manner that they had to weigh anchor. They could not pull into port until they sent chaplains out to the ship and over a thousand men on that ship got saved by the grace of God. That's in the U.S. Naval Archives in Washington, D.C. And the power of God was so manifest in America that one-tenth, one million people got saved and got right, and they didn't say they were saved back then until they showed forth fruits of repentance and showed forth a, save, a changed life. And back then, from 1858 until October of 1859, one million people trusted Christ and joined a local church uh, somewhere in America. Do you know that that was one-tenth of America's population? One-tenth during the Second Great Awakening. And the problem we have, I'm glad, there was a minor awakening in America in the late 60s and early 70s. Many of us got saved during that time. I got saved in the aftermath of that in 1976. But I can tell you that since then, there's been no great awakening. There's been no gully washing, town closing, bar closing, life-changing revival in the society in which you and I live. I preached in a church in Gray, Tennessee, and I'm nearly done, and I asked a question to a group of men. I had a young man for, that was five years old on the, this side of the auditorium, all the way down to a man that was 101 years on this side. 
I had them lined up, all generations, and I asked every generation present, have you ever seen a revival? There was a man 30 years old. I said, son, have you ever seen a revival? He said, our church has had some great revival meetings. I said, did it get out of the church to the place where it shut down the town? Did it get out of the place where bars closed? No, sir. I said, that's a spiritual awakening. Another man, 40 or 50, said, I went to a crusade and a lot of people got saved in the ball field. That's an exciting thing. But did the city change and everything turn? No, never have seen a revival like that. And pastor got all the way down on this end, an old, old fella. He started to cry. He said, I saw a revival down there in the holler about 10 miles from here. He said, well, I had a brush arbor meeting and had preaching and singing. And he said, it broke out into a revival. And he said, down in that holler, more than 300 people got saved. He said they burned down and tore down three liquor stills. They had feuds going on between the equivalent of the Hatfields and the McCoys. They were shooting at each other. And he said families got right. People got right with God. He said people got saved from all walks of life. Moonshiners gave up their moonshine. And he said we had old time revival. Then he said there's a beautiful little church we built over there uh, that came out of that revival. You understand that's the kind of revival that San Leandro, California desperately needs. Amen. And that's the landmark. That's the identifier of a New Testament church. 3,000 saved that first day of Pentecost. 5,000 people saved two days later. I've seen that in Manila. I've seen that in San Pedro Laguna. I've preached to people in San Pedro and saw 5,000 people saved in a meeting and standing on the platform. It dawned on me, I'm seeing what happened at Pentecost and it broke my heart. I see that in San Pedro. But I've never seen that here. And tonight I wonder, do you think God can still send revival? You think God can still rend the heavens? You think God himself can still visit with us and meet with us one more time? And perhaps we need to restore those ancient landmarks one more time by the grace of God.